Hello, everybody, and welcome to National Demystified. I am your host, Alex Steed. National Demystified is a show in which I get to know my home better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. Today, we have the luxury of spending a good bit of time getting to know Caitlin Rose. More on that in a minute. First, I just want you to know that National Demystified is made possible with support by Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, which is a commercial and creative video production company with offices in Portland, Maine and Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. National Demystified is distributed by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts made by Nashvillians for Nashvillians. Lots of great shows in that network. Check them out. Uh, they make sure that we're out in the world and we are grateful to them. So thank you so, so much to my fine friends at We Own This Town. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, I have another one called You Are Good. We call it a feelings podcast about movies. It's kind of like a uh, not too heavy therapy chat that centers on watching movies rather than being like criticism forward, we're feelings forward. And we talk about a new movie each week and we use that as a lens to uh, get to know ourselves better and what the hell's going on in our brains and our hearts. So if you like this show, like I said, hopefully you will check out You Are Good. I co-host it with my friend Sarah Marshall. She hosts another show called You're Wrong About that you might know about. So uh, if you like any of those things that I just mentioned, hopefully you will check out You Are Good. So I got to talk with Caitlin Rose, uh, and I was so excited to do so. I've long enjoyed and appreciated everything I've known about Caitlin for a long while now. And actually, Caitlin uh, has appeared in an earlier episode of National Demystified by lending her voice to our David Berman tribute last year. So Caitlin's already kind of been on the show, but not in the way you're about to hear. I'm grateful to you, Caitlin, for having been on the show last year in that David Berman tribute. Um, this go was just a conversation between uh, two weirdos <laughs> talking about what it's like to make things with strange uh, brains and uh, talking about what it was like to be weird kids. This is such a lovely conversation. It was like a nerdy friends chat. I really, really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed getting to know Kaylin in this way. I didn't know necessarily what to expect outside of just knowing, again, I appreciate and enjoy everything that Kaylin makes, but I didn't know where the conversation was going to go. And we talk about everything from um, what it's like to have friends as adults, <laughs> what it's like to uh, be horror fans. Um, and we talk about being weird children. It's it, This conversation covers a, a whole lot of bases and more. So I'm so excited for you to listen to it. Caitlin, you should know, recently reissued uh, her record Own Side Now. It was a 10 year anniversary vinyl reissue. We talk about that in this conversation as well. Like why, why reissue a record? What's going on there? What has happened? happened since that record came out. Uh, again, we cover all sorts of areas, all sorts of arenas. Caitlin just played at the five spot. I had the luxury of seeing that, um, celebrating this release and played the record itself. And, uh, it was just wonderful seeing her do her thing. It was a lovely, lovely evening. Uh, you can find more information about the record at caitlinrose.com. Uh, you know how to use the internet. You can just look it up. Find find the 10th anniversary vinyl reissue of Own Side Now. But for now, enjoy this conversation uh, with Caitlin Rose. Uh, hello. Hello. What's, uh, what's going on, Caitlin? So much. <laughs> <laughs> 
so much after so little. <laughs> you are, you're playing your, is this your first show from before it all? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Before that. And probably a year before that. Maybe more. How? Uh... I don't actually remember my last show, <laughs> which explains the anxiety I'm feeling about doing one again. How does that feel? Uh, really stressful. Um, but for reasons that are, you know, not just playing music, for reasons that are like, um, even being in a room with a bunch of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to get two rehearsals in after not playing for two or three years mm-hmm. and having six people be a part of that, <laughs> which is really interesting. Um, I texted someone the other day. I was like, was it always like this? And they were like, yes. Like, Thank you. Uh, thank you for that humbling reminder it was always some work so when you ask people has it always been like this and then they (laughs) remind you that it has always been like this is it is it a matter of not having been in the swing of doing this whole thing for a while that that it becomes I mean maybe it's just like stuffing down the trauma of doing Mm -hmm. it for so long and um and I think it's interesting too like I started doing all this when I was 21 and I had no context So I think learning the ropes of all of it, you know, I was sort of stumbling blind and kind of forging a path with a machete instead of (laughs) any kind of precision. And yeah, it shows. So I feel like at this point, anytime I do something like this, I have this weird internal pressure of being like, I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't take a toll on my mental health. I'm going to do it in a way that you know, makes me feel good. But you always have this sort of fear of like, oh, fuck, I'm just going to do it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all creatures of habit, you know? Yeah, I for sure am. So when you started when you were 21, what, like, what was going on then? I mean, before that, I was just playing, like, house shows and, you know, uh, the Springwater, and mm-hmm. which is basically just like a really, was like a really dirty house. And <laughs> whatever with that. Uh, I still love the Springwater. I haven't been in a long time. But yeah, I was mostly just playing in Nashville. And then it went from something very kind of small to touring in England. And I never even toured. So it, it, it was being thrown into something that maybe I didn't have any tools for. So mm-hmm. I was like fashioning like crude tools out of sticks. And I was like, I've got it. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it really did um, work for a minute. And then... Uh, you know, those realizations of like, oh, now I have to like figure stuff out. This is hard. Do you remember what it was like to realize more people were listening to you than the people who were showing up at the house shows and what that felt like? That just felt good for the most part. (laughs) I mean, also it was England. So it's like this dead quiet room of people intellectually listening instead of just being in the back row. And I remember one guy at Springwater one time, some older gentleman in the back had just said, show us your legs. So there was always like... (laughs) There was always noise. Like in Nashville, there was there was never a show Holy really. Shit. I would have like these moments where a crowd would shut up in Nashville, and I'd be like, "I did it!" Um, but in England, they were just freaking silent. So that was that was maybe the most jarring mm. point. And you know, if people are quiet, they can just hear everything you do wrong. A quiet room seems intimidating. In that it one. is. It is. And then you never get used to it. Just kidding. I don't. Still freaks me out. So you've recently released a record. 
I re-released the very first record. But what, and so what was that, like, what was the motivation behind that? Honestly, the main motivation was that I hadn't had any vinyl for, like, four years or five years Mm -hmm. because it had never been repressed. So I think the main moment was getting on, like, Discogs and seeing Mm -hmm. it going for, like, $250. And I was like, damn it, I wish I had saved a few. Um, Because the only copy of my record I had was the one on the merch table that had, like, the sticker and it says, like, $20 Mm -hmm. in a heart. Um, And that's still, well, I have a few. I have have a hundred now. So (laughs) now I'm stuck with a hundred. I feel like I, you know, I got what I wished for. And now I'm just like... Oh, God, I just cleaned out my back room. <laughs> i just gotten it done. With getting back out in performing and outside of the anxiety of getting back out and performing, like, what are you looking forward to most with that? I mean, I'm looking forward to getting it done. That's kind of how, if I ever have, like, stress with shows, I'm always looking forward to the moment where it's done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm excited to play with Jeremy and Spencer again and play these old songs that I probably won't ever play again Mm. just for one really good I don't know I think also people were using their phones at shows kind of at the beginning but like not like they do now Mm -hmm. so there's really no cohesive set of anything I've ever done so it's exciting to have like I'll have this kind of polished time capsule after years of having played these songs and yeah, and Skylar, who produced the record, is going to be playing keys. And it just, it'll feel like what I originally imagined, which is like a really nice family reunion <laughs> and a really nice way to kind of cement that era and be able to share like a full show with people who haven't seen me in five or six years. It's nice to think about the opportunity to take something that you did X amount of time ago and then go, I have this experience now and I have this perspective now and I will kind of put and it And this out baggage now? Yeah. And <laughs> Maybe it's about unpacking a little baggage. I feel like that's Isn't an interesting always? part of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this full moon eclipse in Taurus going to mm-hmm. let some go. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, maybe feel a little more competent in moving forward. This whole release has sort of been, internally for me, this step towards re-entering this pool of everything that comes with this stuff. Because we did a full press cycle for a record I put out 11 years ago. And for as much as I've dipped my toe in, it does feel like an adequate springboard back into doing this. Mm -hmm. And I just finished a record. So, yeah. Now maybe I I can do something with it if somebody wants to do something with it with me. <laughs> You're reengaging this material from 10 years ago. Like are you kind to your past self? Yeah. I think she's awesome. It's weird cuz you know probably like 5 years ago I'd have been like, "Oh, this record is so amateur and it and I'm not singing on pitch all the time and there's a lot of things about it that I'm sure I was like totally upset about, but I've listened to it a couple times for the first time in many years. Like when I got the test pressing Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I have to listen to this. So, um, and I did, and I, you know, I got to enjoy the remaster, which I feel like now I believe mastering is like a big deal. I always did. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I really did hear kind of a clearer version of myself at that age. And it was really, really good. I'm definitely not embarrassed of that. There are things I am embarrassed about, but they never got put out. So yeah. And so I appreciate that that answer. But I guess my question is like, are you kind to yourself like as a person from that time? Yeah, we've all done our trauma work. Like we're all <laughs> ideally, we're all acknowledging, you know, that we're just humans who maybe 
didn't have all the tools they needed. Mm. But I think I worked really hard. I just don't think I knew what I was working at. Mm. And I, it's an era that just never stopped. And then when it did finally stop, it was like, that's the moment where you have to really just like see everything for what it is and, you know, figure out what you did wrong, figure out maybe who you were surrounding with that was not helping that situation and things like that. I feel like this is ideally this like weird two-year stretch that has been happening. Mine's been a weird seven-year stretch. In fact, like when COVID hit and everybody was like, oh, my dreams are crushed. And I was like, oh my God, my dreams have been crushed for so long. Like, Why is that? I Well, maybe not seven years. <laughs> Pretty close. I mean, when did Sandin, Sandin came out? 2013. Um, that's just when the wheels started coming off mm. at a certain point, probably around 2014. And... You know, for so many reasons. Mm. And it goes beyond that. Then there were literally five years of just, oh, my God, like nothing works. Mm -hmm. And so at some point I just dipped out. And, yeah, I don't know. I feel more equipped now. I feel a little more equipped. I feel 34. And and that's not great. But it's also great because I'm not an idiot 25-year-old anymore. Yeah, I'll take take 34 over 25. I wouldn't, but I'll... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I actually like I think a lot I'm like oh this this moment and this moment and this moment and this moment and this moment I could have definitely changed the course of my entire life mm-hmm. but what are you gonna do I don't know it's time does not seem to reverse when you need it to or it want doesn't. it to so. <laughs> it doesn't I mean I, re- I relate to that in a in a pretty substantial way like I feel like 2013 2014 to right before the pandemic and then the pandemic were a fucking weird stretch of time. <laughs> yeah. A super I, weird stretch. Maybe then, just like my entire um, late 20s, early 30s were just sort of... And it's so funny because Adele is, is kind of pushing this narrative of this new record being her Saturn return. I was like, she's 33. It's over. <laughs> like, your Saturn return was literally four years ago. <laughs> but then the other day I was thinking about it and... <sighs> This record that I just finished started at that point mm-hmm. in my life when things sort of just fall apart. And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Everything I've done up to now is wrong. Yeah. So it makes sense to me now. Like, I read that Adele thing and I was like, ooh, it's pushing it. I think with the Saturn Return, though, like, it's like a, such a substantial thing that happens and then you spend a decade with it. Yeah. So you turn 30 and then you turn 40. It's, <laughs> it's not that complicated, but... One thing I really like talking about is kind of astrological um, terminology and how much people can just clamor to it Mm -hmm. so quickly because so many things, like even just the words, are very potent. Mm -hmm. And then people are reading these like long, like, you know, Cosmo articles or something and they're like, oh, that justifies my life. Um, There's a lot more to it than that, but I get it because of... It's not just like, I turned 30. Right. It's different. It's weighted. And that shift of light, like that year, 29 to 30, is going to be a reckoning for anyone. Mm-hmm. And we all handle it differently. And, you know, people sure do love their astrology these days. <laughs> I think it's, has it passed? Are we done with it? It felt like a minute, No, right? we are not, we're not done. We're not there? No way. I'm not saying like I'm over it because I'm not, but I think. <laughs> yeah. And I want, it's like certain things do have their, their days. Like, you know, astrology had its day in the seventies too. So maybe it's like, there's always something kind of calling people back into that broader world mm-hmm. of maybe culturally being mired in this ugly reality and wanting to really experience something a little bit outside of it. Yeah. 
I don't know, though. I don't want to talk about astrology that much, but I'm the one who always brings it up, so. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, like, when astrology was having its moment in the, like, the early to mid-70s. It's when it becomes a pickup line that you're like, oh, this is a cultural moment. <laughs> What's your sign, girl? I think it's just like, it was like in the middle of chaos, and like, the past yeah. couple of years, it's been in it's the like, middle I of chaos. It's like, I just need to get my fucking brain out of this <laughs> terrible simulation. I'll go with something yeah. even, you know, less, no... I don't. What's weirder, astrology or simulation theory for people? For know. like a libertarian white dude, like which one would be he? Oh no, he loves simulation. Yeah, theory. he does not love astrology. No, he, he hates thinks astrology it. is from like you know, flimsy ladies. Flimsy ladies been doing it for a long time. <laughs> flimsy ladies get shit done. So you're working on a record now? It's done. It's done. It's fucking done. And how does Sorry, that and I say feel? it's fucking done because it's taken two years. So it's, I don't blame. I would say it done. like that too. Yeah. Does that feel good? It feels great having it done. And last year, I, you know, I said my only goal is to finish this record. And then this year I said my only goal is to get this record out. So Everything else at this moment, like you were asking, like, how does it feel to do the on-site stuff? And it's like, it's great. I literally, as soon as it's done, I, w I will immediately shut that entire thing down in my brain because all I want to do is put this record out. Mm. And that's been kind of a trial in a lot of ways. And I'm kind of gearing up for battle to really fight for it and, you know, defend this thing that's taken me like seven years to finish mm. in a lot of ways. When you make something, right, when you make a record and then you're like, I, it's time to go bring this into the world, is that a process that you get excited about or are you like, I gotta bring this fucker into the world? <laughs> like, this is gonna be a fight. You know those people who are in labor for like four days? <laughs> yes. I can't compare it that much, but the emotional pain, um, I'm sure it's not so much the release, it's the trying to figure out how to fucking release it. Yeah. It's not... The release is easy. Mm -hmm. um, lining up those ducks has been more than challenging, so... But it's done! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm always just, like, one meltdown away from just posting a SoundCloud link, because I... You know, the world could end at any minute, and... Whatever. Yeah. Whatever, man. Whatever. Uh... <laughs> We're kind of teetering on the edge of something. We should. I do love seeing people walk stuff back all the time. It's sort of like I try really hard to just never have to walk things back. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it has been a lot of like, I announced a record. And it's like, I take it back. See, I never announced the record. I just keep telling people it's done. <laughs> so there's no like Will real anticipation. There's just like, she says it's done. So maybe at some point people will be like, I'm just going to listen to this for the fact that I thought she was lying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a big lie. I, I lied. How has a how has being a person who makes music in the city changed since you started doing it? I don't know. It used to be a lot easier mm. and kind of more natural. Like, but I don't know. You know, somebody who just moved here from fucking L.A. might be like, this is the greatest place to make music in the world. And that's awesome. Um, but for people who grew up here, I think it can it's gotten a little confusing at least for me i grew up in and around portland maine mm -hmm. right and like there was in my mid-20s when i was like making art and putting on together putting together shows and like doing all sorts of stuff like i knew exactly how to do it right like yeah. i knew exactly how to do it and Same. then i and then i had since been back and i would not be able to tell you how to do it at all and it part of that has to do with who i am now and what i'm doing now and all that but part of it also is just like i don't recognize 
anyone Any, here? Anyone here? I don't recognize <laughs> the infrastructure. Yeah. I don't. Re- I don't even know where I would go. To, like I don't know. It's just not. Well, and also so many of the places that sort of were those havens for people to to gather and kind of like I don't know. I don't. I don't know where to go anymore. Mm. Um, I feel like yeah, those places must still exist, but they've sort of passed on to the next. Mm-hmm. So it feels like you know, my elderly moment. So it's fine. I I think a lot of money came into this town, mm-hmm. you know, in the past few years. And I think that's kind of changed things. And maybe it's also just like, I don't feel like busting my ass to be around in the scene and like go to shows because I'm sick of shows. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I also used to, I, I was saying. I'm that. not sick of shows. I'm just like, I don't want to go socialize with lots of people when I could just be home <laughs> watching Korean horror movies. Of course. Of course. So Yeah, I was saying that's what I was noticing to be a difference when I was talking with someone about this the other day is that also around that time that I was describing, my you know, my time budget was infinite. My ability to stretch twenty dollars over the course of five to six days was much. My higher. alcohol tolerance was so <laughs> exactly, high. Exactly. Exactly. It was so. I was high. a bottomless. I was a bottomless upper drug pit. Like there's just <laughs> I could just do stuff forever. It's so funny. And then twenty eight to thirty happened, and it really yeah. slowed me the fuck down. You know, I lo- I like. Yeah, like my entire twenties were spent like drinking at the five spot or drinking at this bar or drinking at this bar. And I remember, like, leaving and being like, oh, like, where do I go now? <laughs> and so I sort of settled into, you know, I'm a West Side girl. Mm-hmm. And I literally moved down the street from my father's house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe there was something in me that's just like, you need to go home for a while. And to be honest, like, I don't think I saw my family f- more than so many times a year for, like, two or three years. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like I'd become very distant and foreign to them. And they're all in the same city that I live in. Mm. So, yeah, I think my tolerance even for just, like, not being in my family unit got yeah. really important to me. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm curious. It's like your other life, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, all of your associations are with people at shows or with people in bars or with people. And it's just not healthy. Yeah, I, I mean, that was extraordinarily important to me for a super long time. And then when it went away, I was like... Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's cool, like, like whatever, like, man. We're still friends on Facebook. Yeah. Like it's fine. I see your cat. We're now all you, getting fat yeah. and old. Now and you all have somehow have ten year olds. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I'm don't know com- anybody with a ten year old yet, but it's uh, coming up. I'm a couple years older than you, and I'm at I'm at a point where it's like I'm watching some kids like go into like junior. Like like I blinked my eyes. We were at shows like watching whatever like of Montreal in rooms yeah. of a hundred people with each other and then now they have like kids going to high school (laughs) i love that i got an invite one of my friends threw a um kind of like a halloween party but it was in the park for everyone with kids (laughs) and i got invited like my sister has two kids and you know they're friends so like i kind of went i was invited grant i didn't crash the children's party um you're like this looks good (laughs) but it was funny because it was like all these people that we knew and you know then all of their little people Mm -hmm. and and she looked at me and she goes it's like a sequel (laughs) i was like oh god i have not evolved into the sequel oh yeah that's i went to my high school my 20 year high school reunion which was like no i mean it was like my class was a graduating class of 63 kids yeah so the high school reunion was like at best like 12 of us and 
I feel like my standout moment there is I don't have children. And I was like the person in that group of people where that's exactly, that's such a good way to put it is that like, I didn't have grow into the sequel because everyone has I'm kids that like, look exactly like them. Maybe I'll their... be like the final girl who yeah. just never does it, <laughs> but survives. I like looking at it like a final girl. It's triumphant. I'm the final girl. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how I feel in terms of words to describe that feeling, but I think there's a lot of different examples of this, but I have read like, you know, like certain traumas that you go through, you sort of, it's really easy to get mentally stuck in that age. Mm -hmm. So you sort of forever see yourself as this younger version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And like, it's very kind of dysmorphic to sometimes like see yourself as an older person. And that's something I never really saw coming, Mm -hmm. but it does. I'm not quite there yet, but it is like, it's a part of aging. And I see, you know, older people sometimes and you know how like, kids will post like pictures of their parents when they're 20 mm-hmm. and I imagine being that parent and being like fuck yeah what happened to what me happened? like who am I and at some point that'll be the the feeling of like cool like I feel really good about myself but I haven't really like hit that hump yet yeah this is getting a little deep of course I don't know. it is <laughs> Of course. It's, like starting. It's, it's inevitable. I know it's like only one o'clock, so I can't be like, well, it's so early. But I like feel like I like this young, yeah. like this this person who was, I was beautiful and now I'm a You're big still man. beautiful. Thank you. But I'm a big man with a white beard and I'm like, I don't know how to reconcile these two. These I mean, two you things. keep it, you keep it short. I appreciate it. Yes, I do. I try, I try. It's I, a good look. I don't want it to be wild. It's hard to know what you do when you start to become the, the, the next version the of next your, version. the middle version. Exactly. exactly. And you know, like it's also kind of stupid because it's like, well, I just hope I get to the old version. You know, I'm fine <laughs> with it. Like this is a natural progression. <laughs> But, you know, before you see it, see it, and you're in this place where you're like, oh, it's coming. What do you do that is not making music? I watch a lot of Korean horror movies. Specifically? Or is that just happening right now? South Korean horror. I mean, (laughs) I watch a lot of horror movies. Like, a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, it's gotten to the point where I can't watch anything else. Yeah. Why? I don't know. What well, horror is the genre I watch the most? Yeah. But I'm curious started, about why that would happen for someone else. I've always liked horror movies. I feel like most of my favorite ones were, like, my favorite movies when I was a kid were horror movies. Um, because, you know, it felt like you're getting away with watching something. Mm-hmm. And I really liked getting away with shit. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Halloween, I think, was my favorite movie when I was in, like, the fourth grade. Yeah. And I feel like people put a lot of thought even for the stupid ones, into horror movies. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of horror movie directors and writers are film freaks. Yeah. And so it's this genre that's always trying to create a bigger message or convey a bigger message through fear, which is kind of one of the strongest human emotions Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you have. So it sort of can encompass all these things. Um, Yeah, I I think with horror, it's just that there's always a compelling story because anything supernatural is probably going to be compelling. Mm -hmm. And I just haven't really been able to watch things that are set in any kind of reality or, you know, cute version of reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's just so many of them. So why South Korean horror? Is it because of the... It's having a moment. moment. Everything coming out of there is good. Yeah, yeah, it's like... I think that's another thing is that that specifically has been such an interesting thing to see, like, that cultural identity is coming out in these films. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, like, stupid horror. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it's... The stories are amazing. And I think 
for being from such a different culture, there's still like a lot of similarities in this much newer country. Mm. So yeah, I think they're having a moment because they're a newer country. Yeah. I feel like sitting on the edge of like Armageddon all the time is like yeah. a, is big for forming a horror identity. Like I said the other day, like I I know what a, I had a tweet and it was somebody was posting about um, how God must be really stupid. And I said, God created his man in his own stupid image. And I know this because one time I watched a whole episode of The Masked Singer. Like I watched it. I sat there and I watched a Masked Singer episode. And I said, oh, my God, you need to you need to think about your life right now. <laughs> you need to be the person that you want to be. And this is not that person. This is not it. It's good that you were able to intervene. <laughs> I did. I never watched another one. But who? I did watch an interview with Johnny Rotten the other day, who apparently Oof. was on The Masked Singer. No. <laughs> oh, my God. I And then I was like, okay, check. We got to check in again, Caitlin. You just watched Johnny Rotten talking about anything. So maybe get off your phone for a second. <laughs> Do you, a book. What is your favorite horror movie now? Right now... I think in the last couple of years, like, I revisit um, Train to Busan a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. Mm. It's become kind of one of my sad movies. Like, mm. if I'm feeling a little down, that's what I'll usually put on. Midsommar was another one. Some of the more popular ones I'll keep going back to. But one I saw recently was The Wailing. Oh, yeah. That's oh, great. my God. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I will usually just say, oh, my God, after everyone <laughs> I talk about. But then at a certain point, you run out. Sure. So, like I said, then you're in the weeds watching... Um, like a remake of The Sixth Sense or something, and you're like, how does this even exist? <laughs> Who do you listen to now who's around and making stuff? Tristan, Jordan Lenning, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Ray. Yeah. yeah, of course. Has some awesome stuff right now. Um, people I've always liked. The Colonel. Maybe it's just, you know, I still stay in my clicks. Also, uh, so many bands that I listened to 10 years ago don't exist anymore, so I still listen to their records. Mm. Are you a visual artist at all, or do you primarily, are you primarily a musician? Primarily musician. I'm one of those people that always had phases. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of visual art growing up. Like even just, I had a big, um, I was a big anime girl, mm -hmm. like in middle school. Really? Yeah. Wow, I did. I not was see a J-pop girl. I was, but I was always really eclectic in every. Like I listened to a lot of music. Like Guitar Man mm -hmm. by Bread came on today on the way over here. I was like, put. Back into this, like, really wonderful place of, like, having Napster mm -hmm. and just, like, digging in. But then I was also downloading, like, Tomoe Shinohara's theme song to a, you know, really rambunctious anime I never actually ended up watching. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I think that's probably where my interest in art started. But I always drew. And then I kind of had a phase with painting. And then I kind of had a phase with certain things that didn't last because I didn't find um, a vessel for them, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing music, I was encouraged to try harder. I was motivated to keep trying harder. But with visual art, I never really did. Mm -hmm. um, like, I made a zine. That was really fun. I think it was all just dipping in, but music definitely ended up being the one that kind of made sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I won, I won a scholarship to Watkins hmm. for a desk that I painted. Hmm. I didn't go. <laughs> A scholarship was one, though. It was. It wasn't a big one. It was, like a, me it was a mediocre scholarship. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have gone to art school. And mm. It's funny, because like, film is 
more of an interest to me at this point than music. Mm-hmm. But I don't work in the medium at all, so. Yeah. Mm. Do you, you said earlier, I think relating to horror, that it was like watching something you weren't supposed to be watching, and that's... Oh, like the first time I saw To Die For when I was nine? Oh, that's... Definitely wasn't supposed to watch that one! Certainly not. Certainly not. It's a classic. Gus Van Sant for kids. It's great. (laughs) I feel like that, it's sort of like Kids Bot, but there should be like... (laughs) Gus Van Sant for kids. Can I make that my profile header? (laughs) You should, absolutely should. (laughs) Right now it's, um... Oh God! My own private Idaho is huge, huge for me, young. Like that huge one I've never young. seen. Oh, huge for me, young. Yeah, yeah. Huge for me, young. Huge for me, young. It's another good profile. <laughs> do you? But do you? Were you uh, trouble as a kid? Like, were you a handful? No, no, you weren't. I well, you were. Mu- you were. You were into J-pop. So yeah. <laughs> no, but it, I. I don't know if I was trouble. I got in trouble a lot. Mm. I had a lot of. Um, just differences (laughs) like I wasn't an easy kid to get along with yeah it doesn't mean I was difficult but certain things I did drove certain authoritarian figures crazy Mm -hmm. um like you know and I think they were all related to like ADHD or OCD and things that I couldn't really control Mm -hmm. um but yeah I remember getting in a lot of trouble for things that were very arbitrary yeah and like my mother showing up at school to take me home to change clothes and screaming at a principal. Cause she's like, I have a fucking job. And she literally is wearing a longer skirt than anyone here. She just happened to have made it. And yeah. one time I like um, made a bondage Barbie and <laughs> brought it into the lunchroom. I think I was just weird and yeah. certain people really disliked it. So as far as like getting into trouble, no, I wasn't like you know, dropping acid in the middle school parking lot or anything like that. I was just friends with those people. Um, but I, I think I just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a, a hard shell briefcase oh, nice. that I painted pretty often. I would like paint it like I would whitewash and then paint stuff on it. <laughs> and then I like, you know, put put like uh, glued CD covers and stuff on there. And there was like nice. a doll involved. Like, yeah, I was. I'm trying to remember. There's so I, many weird ones where you're like, people didn't why like did that. I do that? I made like a collage in an art class one time. And I, I cut out the instructions for tampon application, mm. and I and I put it yeah. on there, and I remember getting in like not trouble with the teacher. The teacher backed me up, but like everybody in the class was just so <laughs> upset. Oh yeah, totally. With me, and I, you know, I it's all those moments where I realize like, wow, you can really bother people. Yeah. My my first that's so <laughs> not I mean, intentionally like I no, never wanted not. to bother anybody. My, it's so fun. That specific example is so right on because my first zine, which was called No, which is just Love absolutely it. telling. Love it. The illustration was of just a simple like almost like a outline, simple line outline of a person. Uh, uh, that was photocopied from an enema box, and it nice. was the person sitting in the position you should be in when you insert the enema. Wow, we would have been great yeah, friends. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. <laughs> and it was like, it didn't say what it was, but it was just like that position, and I was like, this is yeah, obviously... Yeah, I didn't write, like, tampon no, right. above it. I was like, this is obviously what should be here. Like, this just makes sense. It was sort of, I mean, I think it's just like, you're not trying to shock anybody. You're just sort of, especially with visual art, you're like, you know... Uh, trying to be a big girl in a in a in a big world mm-hmm. or something and I don't know I don't even know what my motivation was for a lot of the things yeah. that bought like the bondage barbie I don't know yeah like I, an interest so, in adult things but I wasn't quite I don't know I know I know I know exactly what you mean and they I took remember... her and they put her at the front of the lunchroom <laughs> <laughs> they 
and they put her on the table at the front of the lunchroom and everybody had to walk past it and I had to own it. <laughs> God, you know what? what? Holy shit. <laughs> I just had a breakthrough. What is it? Okay, and tell me if you if you feel like this. What if we created these situations for ourselves to have to own up to it, to mm. put ourselves into a public mm-hmm. discourse of something in a place where there really is no public discourse. Yeah. Because I hate owning up to things. Well, I'm I, terrible at so it. So this is a very, this is a similar parallel realization, is that I started making zines because if there were a transaction, I would then know how to engage you, right? So like at 14, 14, 15, I couldn't just walk up to you and go like, let's be friends. Oh yeah. But if I was like, here you go, I made this. We, and you were like, cool. We had something. Thank you. Totally. So there was like some legitimizing factor. So I think that that's a thing that you're similarly speaking to. Well, and even in making music, it's Mm -hmm. putting yourself in a place where if you were just at a show, you would just be at a show. Right. And all of these people that you admire in the scene, you're like, well, I guess all I can do is tell them I like them. Yeah. How boring is that? <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, you know, you slink off into the background. And I think it's sort of like, yeah, a lot of the songs I wrote too, like similarly to sort of these weird habit of making people uncomfortable, but not acknowledging it until after I, you know, I wrote uncomfortable songs about people mm-hmm. and then I got up on a stage and I played them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was definitely about finding a, not even a place of power, just a, um, like agency. Yes, a sense of agency. Like, I spent a lot of my life feeling very invisible and kind of resenting it, but then not being able to kind of find my own way of of avoiding it. Um, And I think that stage of, like, 12 to 13 is when you're like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to find my my little um, piece of land and I'm going to claim it. Mm -hmm. And that is being the person that makes people feel weird, but a lot of other people like it. What, so how did you get from that point to playing music? Like, was it was it a thing that you were cultivating already, or were you like, this is a way that I can engage in some way? Like, I was definitely happen? going to shows before I was writing songs. Mm-hmm. I was definitely, you know, kind of stumbling around in being in a scene and knowing a lot of people, but really not having anything to offer outside of, like, being 15. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Yeah, and then somebody screwed my heart up, and I just went for it. Yeah. But yeah, I actually, like, calling back to the awkward songs about people, I definitely started that probably around 16. And I remember my first show was, like, a house party um, for one of my friends, and I'd, I'd never even played in front of people, but, like, one of my, you know, local fascination people drove out to like Thompson Station to see me play my first set and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's encouraging." Right. I guess I'll do it again. Yeah. Um and then getting kind of finding those few people in a music scene that also championed you a little bit and kind of creating a safe space for you to just be your weird ass self. Yeah, that's probably where it was. When making those songs were sort of directed in one way or another, were they things that you would say to the people otherwise? Or was that the only way that was No. I mean, one of the songs that, you know, all my friends loved and knew was called One Speed Confessional. It's literally about riding past somebody's house on your bicycle Mm -hmm. because they have a girlfriend. And later he ended up being my boyfriend. So I guess it wasn't too creepy. (laughs) It was weird. I remember like being in a room sort of, 
it keeps coming back to this agency place where like if you don't know how to express your feelings then getting up and playing these songs in front of people is sort of like I do know how to express my feelings, just not in appropriate ways. Um, and I remember, like, sitting there playing that song, him and his girlfriend sitting across from me, and this weird kind of power coming from that, just being like, I can do anything that's, you know, creating uh, content that shouldn't be played in front of people. But <laughs> I don't know how to do anything if it isn't motivated by weird, complicated feelings. Like, I don't know how to... I don't have anything but weird, complicated feelings. <laughs> that is all I have in me. I only know how to make stuff that I obsess over in one way or another. And then if something good comes out of it, I'm so excited. That I was going to say, that's another, like, you know, growing up and having people frustrated with me because I couldn't focus. And I'm like, well, ADHD, like you can only focus on the things you care about and that's it. Did no one quiz me on the things I was focused on? Yeah. I was, I was Nobody absolutely. Cared. <laughs> no one cares about my anime. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I was so focused, just not on any of the things I was asked to focus on. Yeah, I definitely think that's kind of why music became the one that stuck, because I could focus on it. Mm -hmm. There were rules, um, but they were rules that I really enjoyed, and they were rules that I followed. So I really could, I could figure out songwriting more than I could figure out painting, more than mm -hmm. I could figure out poetry. I still can't write poetry. I read a shit ton of poetry. I can't write one. Yeah. It's a very different thing. So anytime somebody, my biggest pet peeve... And I remember there was, like, a character on Nashville that did it, too, where it's like, you know, songs are just poetry set to music. <laughs> that is the biggest lie. Then those are some garbage poems. Those are garbage poems that you're writing. If you can sing your poem, it's garbage. Congratulations. Congratulations, character on Nashville. God. <laughs> and did you find in, like, that... that the series of collaborators you were talking about from early on, like, was that how you were finding sort of a social group was by making stuff with other people? Well, at the beginning, it was mostly just people like a person I dated. So they had a band and I would open up for them. And we all got on cakewalk and like made a record in a night. Mm -hmm. It was fun. And when I said I'd never toured before, I took that back because we actually did do a week long run in Florida. Mm -hmm. But three of the shows were canceled. And we ended up sleeping in my Volvo for most of it. So I stayed, I steered clear for a while. But that sense of place never stuck. So I was constantly kind of hopping from one group to the next. Like, and a lot of that has to do with sort of being that outlier again. Like even in any tight friend group, I've always sort of either been edged out in some way or felt like I just needed to move. Mm -hmm. So it's also, you know, Nashville was a place where I felt like I knew everyone. Yeah. Because I've always kind of mixed and mingled and not stayed in one thing. And now I'm like, I don't know any of these things. So I'm just going to stay home. Yeah. I, the thing that I have enjoyed about being here is feeling at home with people who are enthusiastic about stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't know about, you know, it's like... A, who any... are these people and where do I meet them? <laughs> Probably the same place as you were before. Just... <laughs> But like I do, I, what I have enjoyed, and it's a lot of people you already know, like what 
the people I have. Yeah, I'm being a really big grump. There are a lot of people <laughs> I love. I just, I don't know how to creatively engage anymore. I think that's what it is, is figuring that out has been hard. What I have enjoyed is people just being like, oh, you're interested in stuff like me too. And I like that. You like stuff? I like stuff. Yeah, let's, let's, let's like do stuff, stuff together. Totally. But I'm like, I've had to be almost like challenge myself to be aggressive about that, to be like, let's like stuff together. Like, yeah. Cause like, I know that no one knows how to be friends, right? Like no one is like. What is that? <laughs> I don't it's know. It's so weird. Cause someone might not want to. And, it's and I have so many friends that have like 20 friends and I'm like, what do you guys do? Yeah. I don't quite get that. How do you do that? Yeah. I have, a, I have such a desire to be friends. And then I don't know how to maintain super long-term friendships. Like people who do that. I have a friend. I feel like long-term friendships are things you get stuck with. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you don't really work at. It's sort of just like we're stuck to. Like I have a friend who one time she told me she was angry at me. She was like, I'm just going to fucking move. And I said, I'll fucking follow you. So (laughs) I even made her a little note card uh, for Christmas last year that has her picture on it. It said, I'll Um, fucking follow you. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's sort of like the people we were like. I'll never let you go. Yeah, I have, so I definitely have two of those, but I really felt what you were saying with regard to, like, even in the friend groups, like, you can, like, I'll be like, this is over, this one is over, and we gotta, <laughs> we gotta be done, and maybe I self-sabotage it a little bit, maybe that's a thing that happens sometimes. Oh, I never or, do that, I or just Or maybe it's fade. just, like, it's time to go, yeah, yeah. I've, I'm it, a very natural ghoster, and I think a lot of that comes from being a person who is maybe overly sensitive about rejection, so I just kind of slink away mm. i'm moving away from the microphone yeah. <laughs> like i always had this weird habit of like if i was dating someone who i like not even didn't like just kind of had this moment of like i just don't know if we're a good fit and i would try and maybe insinuate setting them up with <laughs> other friends not like but like i remember i, I was <laughs> in a bar with somebody one time and i was like God, you love Steely Dan and he loves Steely Dan. And I just feel like y'all would have so much more fun together. <laughs> and I was like, I need to stop drinking now. I'm going to go home. She was like, this is the down. weirdest thing that's ever. I need to go. Oh, my God. I don't know. Just like sort of, I always loved matching people. Mm-hmm. Even like just friends. Yeah. And then they're still friends. And I'm like, cool. Like, you guys look great. <laughs> You're doing it. You're doing, You're doing it. it. You're going out. Everything's great. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't fully still know how to be a human. Relationships are a lot of responsibility. I need to keep it small. Mm-hmm. It's like a pet. Like, I have a pet. I have a cat who hates me. <laughs> but she's not needy. Yeah. So I'm like, this works. <laughs> There's a lot of lessons in there. <laughs> she's big, too. She's a big, beautiful, tough girl. I love her. But, yeah, she's not one of those cats that, like, she can't jump on anything. So she can't, like, knock stuff off tables. And I realized, like, I don't think it's just because she's huge. I think she honestly learned very young that if she did certain things, like, I would no longer love her. Mm. <laughs> so she wouldn't have a place here. She, she's worried about being booted. She is hateful, but she is not stupid. <laughs> and that works for me. Her name did is you, Clara. Did you come from a codependent background? <laughs> background? <Do> you- <laughs> Do you mean actively codependent? Because I have a number of those relationships in my Is this because I haven't been to therapy in like a year? Is this what's going on? I'm just, I'm not unloading. Well, my other show is active therapy, so this one is... Nobody else wants to talk about this with me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Actively codependent. Working on it. I didn't know any of that shit until, again, I don't mean to bring this up so many times, but until I I got out of a long-term serious relationship. And a friend of mine was in 
uh, couples therapy with her girlfriend six months after they broke up. And I thought that was crazy. And then now, in retrospect, I don't think it's They were crazy. processing the relationship. Totally, which I think is actually brilliant. God, but she, I would do that. That she, sounds like a blast. Totally. There's a lot of situations where I want to do that now in retrospect. But she she um, gave me the book Codependent No More. I don't know if you ever read this classic. Clearly not. It's fantastic. But yeah, I was like, oh, this makes everything make so much sense. Yeah. Can't wait to work on this shit. Oh, man. Yeah, your cat sounds like someone I might have dated at some point. <laughs> She's great. I'm a fan. You know, and she only loves me. Mm, oh, that's great. <laughs> Just like ticking the boxes. That's it. I started going to a barber recently who is not a barber. She has a hair salon. And uh, I normally go to like guys with tattoos who do like fades and stuff. It's like a whatever whole situation. And she doesn't give a great haircut at all, but she uh, has said several times in the haircut that I'm handsome and I look distinguished. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, it's you and me forever. I do, like, I don't get my hair. I've, I've probably went, like, three years with cutting my own hair, which was a disaster. <laughs> but I finally met someone who... Met someone. I finally <laughs> found a person who, um, like, liked talking to me. Mm. And it was the same thing, where I was just like, oh, God. Like, every time I walk out of here, it looks different. <laughs> like, it's never... It's not constant. It is complete. Like, I don't know what I'm going to walk out of here with. Yeah. But it was like... It was the first time I would sit in a chair and not feel like the person cutting my hair felt uncomfortable around me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like we had dialogue, we had rapport, and I was like, this is so rare. That's a huge, that's a huge, huge... Like, I know it needs to be shorter. If you do that, that. I do not care. I can't believe I told the tampon story. That's what I'm really... God. (laughs) Bondage Barbie, I'm proud of. I still have her. What? Well, Kim held you, though. Were, I mean, obviously, I, like, I, who knows psychologically what compelled you, but why were you like, I gotta bring this to school? I think because it was just there. I think because, you know, it's like my identity. I'm freshly a woman and I'm just gonna put this on here with all this other shit and I don't even care. Like, I don't know. Mm. It's because it was there. It was also, like, I know it was zine making, like, you yeah. know, cutting stuff up. And totally. it's like whatever I could cut up. Social media didn't exist yet when you were in high school. Like friends, not, Friendster might have just happened. Like Friendster just happened. Um, MySpace happened. Uh, no, but we had AIM. Yeah. Oh, of course. But you know what? AIM I'd was a lot of one-on-one. Remember when AIM, like AIM was one-on-one. <laughs> right. So yeah, there was that. Uh, one of AIMs my lifelong friends. the original friends DMs. Yeah. AIM was DMs before. It's sort of like we didn't have DMs. For DM a long was time just the that. social media. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the anim- Japanese animation chat room on AOL. Was, that, well, actually, that was most of my friends when I was like 13. Was that fine for the most part? Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing weird ever happened. Mm. I don't believe <laughs> I ended it. up having friends for like... <laughs> five, I definitely am not friends with anyone from my Japanese animation chat room anymore. But, you know, there's a couple people I like went to conventions with a couple times mm. and um, was friends with for a long time. But... I just texted a message board friend for when I was 14. Still around and doing it somehow. Still message boarding? Uh, no, that's all. That's all gone. <laughs> the message board is gone. That's so. all gone. Uh, it's good that your friendship didn't end when the message board did. Yeah, we're all we're all. I feel like you friends. actually are way better at being friends with people than you said. I'm good at being in touch. I don't know if I'm good at Same. being available. I'm good at like checking in. Yes. Or if somebody texts me and they're like, "Everything is terrible." I'm totally. Like, Let's talk through it. There's. I have no middle ground. 
I am exactly as available as you just described. And I'm not just like, I have a very difficult time being like, you got a new car. What's that like? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. Your kid had a recital. Like what? Was it cool? Like, I don't know what I am bad at being generally available. Were they good (laughs) or was it terrible? Like that's my problem too. I'll ask like the weird question and someone's like, have you ever done this before? (laughs) Like going to funerals has always been like really weird, Mm. but like, I feel like I can do that. That's like, Nobody gets to have any bullshit at a funeral. No. They do. They do, but they're not supposed to. Do you have compulsion issues? I'm starting to realize that that's maybe what it is. Mm. Um, yeah, you're creating like an order out of symbols and stuff. Yeah. Mm. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with how astrology kind of became yeah. a big interest to me. But yeah, kind of like repeated patterns and things like that have always been how my focus would happen. I think that's why songwriting is so fun. And when it's not, I'm just fucked off with it i'm not even gonna think about it yeah i could see that from a songwriting perspective and there's like a there's that's a good way to use your compulsion but i am the most annoying co-write in the world Mm. so because you keep going at it or why because i'll keep going at it until it's perfect Mm. but also like the way like the structures like i'm very specific about so yeah in some ways it's really great and in some ways it's really weird because i might get in a wreck because i'm counting mailboxes like Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I have, I have like. What's yours? I don't like. I make noises and stuff in my like throat to that are like completing some patterns that I don't entirely understand. Okay, but it's not. It's not mouth talking. Do you know about this? No. So I think my maybe first compulsion was probably licking my lips. So I was Kool Aid girl. But the next one I found. (laughs) The next one I think. Oh, I also used to put hickeys on my arm a lot. Um, but the one that I found that I think was. Still my favorite. (laughs) And I realized, like, I used to sit there by myself in my bedroom. It was sort of this way of, like... You also, when you do that, look like one of the masks from the movie Strangers. The Strangers. (laughs) <laughs> After doing it for so long, you'd think I'd be able to do an F. Still can't do an F. But yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah. No wonder people didn't want to talk to me. Yeah. Not. I'm not saying that. Yes, that made sense. <laughs> but like, I feel like I feel like a lot of people I knew just knew how to get along in a way yeah. where all of my natural impulses. Did you grow up mostly it. around adults? I think that's yeah. an, so. That's sure. what it is. That is the core <laughs> issue is that I did not grow up socializing really with children. Same. Like I had like one friend mm-hmm. whose parents were friends with my parents and then always more than like 10 people at my parents' house. Yeah. If it, so God, that's what it is. Yeah. And my brother's 10 years older. All of his friends were older. All of my siblings are significantly older, like out of the house older by the time that I was you know, up and about. My sister doesn't act as weird, but I think she is probably as weird. She's two years younger. Mm. But yeah, just lots of adults. Lots yeah. of adult conversations. Uh, I think it just, maybe that's what it is. And then they throw you in school and they're like, have fun with this. Totally. Figure it out. I do remember making those few friends like who had that similar background too. Like if I, like moving here, like everyone was music industry. Yeah. So it was like, when because we were in Amarillo, Texas before. Mm-hmm. And when we moved here, a lot of our family friends ended up being in music, too. And those households are very similar. Yeah. So, like, anyone who grew up in a music family probably grew up mostly around adults. Yeah. 
So you click. Like a lot of adults. Like so like many. The house is full of adults. Like adults that you're like, we don't really know them, but they're here. <laughs> One of them moved into our basement. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime He's I go. Just there. I did. So my, my parents weren't like that, but like there were, it, that was who, it was like largely adult oriented socializing yeah. and stuff. And like now, and now my wife, Carolyn, her, she comes from a musical family and her parents are musicians. And I'm just always kind of just taken aback like when you go to the house it's full of people it, it just yeah. and they're not even necessarily engaged in what's happening they're just like they're using just there. the studio or like playing you know they're just around they're just always adults around and I remember I, our Thanksgivings turned into like you know industry Thanksgivings mm-hmm. and it wasn't like so I never learned how to like sit around the table and pray <laughs> <laughs> or pray I never learned that either but yeah it's just it's an interesting thing to like sort of be bombed with all of these adult personalities from such a young age Mm -hmm. and so yeah like you're walking into kindergarten with this different set of skills and knowledge and social ability and so you just sit there and you don't say anything yeah and then you freak out when you hit puberty (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely yeah totally i didn't know what to socialize about at five i just knew how to like impress adults i remember that's exactly what it is i'd been impressing adults since i was like (laughs) <laughs> one and then all of a sudden i'm like these kids don't think i'm funny <laughs> let me tell you a dirty joke <laughs> which literally another compulsion dirty joke check out this barbie and this tampon box have you ever heard of limericks <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my my first i okay that's poetry last bit of weird me please when i was like in the fifth grade my favorite limerick one of the first things I ever memorized was there was a vampire named Mabel whose period was ever so stable and every full moon she'd take out a spoon and drink herself under the table. (laughs) I didn't even know what a period was. That is phenomenal. (laughs) I really should have honed that skill to memorize maybe the greats like you know the real uh greats of poetry i <laughs> but yeah I, I loved a limerick yeah rightfully so this, were, and it's a full moon joke so perfect. that can go in what were the responses like did people confusion yeah. <laughs> horror yeah i don't really remember i just feel like it's compulsion it was like you're like what do i do in this situation what do i do what do i do I, uh, tell a limerick mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've we've gone to some. We've great, covered all of it. Honestly, it's just good. Places. It's great to hang out with you for the yeah, first time. It's so nice to hang out with you. I'm glad this is happening. Like uh, I said, like if you're not doing something, you can't just be friends with people. <laughs> yeah. Why else would you like hang out with people? <laughs> what is the point? I and that's like self-loathing, right? Like to some degree, it's like. I, I don't like myself enough to just be a person. Well, I don't like myself enough to think that you would have any interest in oh, yeah. in hanging out. Well, but also if you're one of those people that like can't tell a story with everyone in the room starting to look at you like, oh God, when is it going to end? Or you're just imagining it, but it's definitely there. Oh my God. Yeah, I feel that. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Good to hang. Yeah, it's awesome.
All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of Nashville Demystified. Thank you so much to Caitlin for talking with me for so long and so deeply about all sorts of things. It was truly, truly a delight. Thank you to Cameron Davidson, who produces the show and makes each of the episodes sound great. Uh, Thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I think that's it for now. Uh, Join us next time for a conversation with uh, Joshua Black Wilkins. All right. Thanks for... uh, Thanks for being cool and listening to Nashville Demystified. It means a lot.